Welcome to Peeling the Onion podcast, guys. Today we have Megan Teltner. Megan runs the Academy for Culinary Nutrition. We are super excited to have her on today's episode. Um, today we're going to be talking about food as community, how to parent, and also um, how change can be really hard, especially over the last couple of years. So here's a little snippet about Megan so we get to know her. She's a Toronto-based author, speaker, nutritionist, and founder of the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. She's written two best-selling books, Undiet, Eat Your Way to Vibrant Health, and The Undiet Cookbook. Megan's success in cultivating a global community of undiet enthusiasts and culinary nutrition experts has garnered her a feature in Forbes and ranked her as one of the top 100 female entrepreneurs in Canada. We're excited to have her. Let's go peel the onion. Welcome to Peeling the Onion podcast with Cheryl Passwater and Nancy Campbell. Join us in a range of experts as we explore the layers of physical, mental, and spiritual health and talk through ideas for how we can support your wellness journey. Let's jump in and peel the onion. Um, thanks so much for being here, Megan. We're so excited to um, have you. Um, we've both been following your work for a long time, um, and so we're so excited um, to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited to finally connect with both of you. I know, live on Zoom. Um, so I would love, you know, how I got, I know how I got to know your work is um, actually um, my wife um, was a big fan of what you were doing and we ended up taking your everyday um, herbal class. But I would, you know, we would love to just, you know, hear from you a little bit more about, um, you know, the culinary, your culinary nutrition school and how you got into culinary nutrition to begin with. and. Uh- Yes. So like many people, it was my own health crisis that landed me in a position of needing to take responsibility for my health. I wasn't finding any answers in the specialists and doctors I was seeing and had this like lurking room in my apartment I hadn't really spent much time in called the kitchen. And it seemed to me that if I was going to figure out how to reclaim my health when I was young, I was just 25 at the time, I was going to have to learn how to how to cook. And so that was sort of what sparked um, the interest initially. And I studied holistic nutrition, but there was still a lack of practical nutrition skills, like how we take what we're learning in books and apply it in the kitchen and really focus on, you know, the three meals a day or however many people are choosing to eat. Right. And so I started uh, my business oh gosh, a long time ago, almost 13 years ago, by teaching small community-based cooking classes here in downtown Toronto, where I still live. And that continued to uh, expand. As I was learning to cook new things, I would create new classes based off my newest recipes. I was not a cook going into this. And it kept growing and growing and growing. The demand kept growing. And the ultimate mission I had way back in 2008 that I still have now is to empower people that they can transform their health and subsequently their lives by changing their approach to what they're eating. And so it started out as really community focused cooking classes where we had a group of people, we cook together and sit down at the table and share a meal. And it continues to be that. However, we've since grown and shifted and changed And in 2013, we took uh, what I was doing in person online and launched the Academy of Culinary Nutrition in 2014. And in that time, we've now graduated over 2,500 people in 70 countries 
empowering them to become the teachers. So we're teaching the teachers in how they can effectively, inclusively, kindly, judgment-freely share this information in their homes around their own kitchen tables with their friends and family. And for a lot of our graduates, uh, creating or igniting businesses in the field, whether it's creating products, doing customized menu planning, private chef work, you know, the, the sky's the limit in how our graduates have ended up applying it. And that's sort of been a very, for the cheesiest cliche possible to call, say an organic evolution, which it has been. And it's just been about teaching this in a way that really makes it fun and really invites people to, you know, take what they want, leave what's not right just yet and apply it in their lives, which is what's most important of all. That's amazing. I think it's such an important, um, you know, thing. I, you know, I was telling my friend the other day, I was like, you know, during this uh, odd pandemic-ish time, um, you know, I'm amazed like how many people are like, I don't know how to cook, um, you know? And like, they're just like, I have no idea. And, you know, it's like, I'm always, you know, telling my own students, I'm like, eating doesn't have to be hard like follow, you know, Michael Pollan's food rules or, you know, like eat food, mostly plants, you know, care about where your food comes from, but that, um, you know, even just cooking is like little simple things. You don't have to have a lot. I think a great lesson that hopefully everyone is learning from what we've experienced over the last year or so is that our lives had become so convenient that it became our own detriment, that you can order anything to your door instantly and the critical components of not just health, but fulfillment and happiness and connection um, had become dismantled and dis- so disconnected that in what we've all experienced, whether you wanted to or not, everyone is spending more time in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, I mean, so what tips do you have for people? Like, you know, I know something, um, you know, this year was definitely um everything's a silver lining of course um but you know one of my big shifts is like how much I love having a dinner party and you know going to great restaurants and we support still like great restaurants and you know um you know and have people that we you know eat and commune with and stuff like that but I know for a lot of people like um you know so much of not just cooking is community but eating is community and it's like what you know what suggestions do you have for people during this time that yeah so in I know in some parts of the world people are now able to dine together here in Toronto we celebrate some of the strictest rules (laughs) on North America where we cannot and and it's you know it's exceptionally challenging for people who live alone to even have the inspiration at this point to make themselves a meal and I think no matter where you're at or what your circumstances are the key place to start is with something you want to enjoy. So if you think of a vegetable or, uh, you know, whatever it is you want to have and find a creative way to make that. So that if you're starting with one recipe and doing one dish from scratch that's new, that allows you to challenge yourself, to be creative, to try something new, to optimally eat something that's seasonal, which is when you can do the least to it and have it be most delicious. Like here in Ontario, uh, where I live, we're just getting some asparagus in. And asparagus in April and May is way more delicious than asparagus in January coming from who knows where or grown, you know, without any connection with nature. 
And so that alone gives you way more flavor, way more cost effectiveness, way more nutrition that to make it delicious, all you do is like steam it and toss it with olive oil and put some salt on. And like, there you have something. And so I think what people commonly think of when they consider having to cook from scratch and make all their own meals is that it has to be elaborate and complicated and they get overwhelmed and then stop before they started. And so if you can keep it super simple, start with a basic ingredient and the most easy and delicious way to prepare it, that's going to give you motivation and confidence. You can start to take on more and more things. And so my basic recommendation for people is usually just start with one new recipe a week, not 21 new recipes for every meal you're going to make. Start with one. And if you love it, that becomes party rotation. And next week, grab a new one so that you constantly have a few new things coming in that keeps you inspired and excited, but not so overwhelmed that, you know, every meal is like this two hour production. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious too, you and and Josh on your podcast, that's about all of these topics that you cover in the Academy. Um, It's called Today is the Day, right? That's with your husband, Josh. It's wonderful. And I've really enjoyed just breaking down all of these great ideas, hearing your ideas for meal planning and meal prepping, getting in the kitchen and getting motivated, and also just tons of, of valuable health tips. Um, but to that point of, that you make about just taking one recipe at a time, um, you also talk a lot about the importance of a whole foods diet in the first place. And can you, can you just break that down for us? Can you gonna give the, the, the listener out there who's trying to wrap his or her head around the fact that they have to stop eating so much processed food and start getting this quote unquote whole foods diet and why the heck that even matters. Yeah, so what's really incredible about eating a whole foods diet, and the way I define that is where the majority of processing happens in your own home kitchen. So it's as close to where it came off the tree or the plant or off the farm when it lands in your house um, as possible. And what's incredible when you start eating that way is that most of the rules that we think we have to follow no longer apply. They're not relevant because you are controlling what's going into every meal. So you don't have to think about the sugar and the salt and the fat and all these things that we think we need, you know, a full calculator to figure out and how much we're getting to make sure we're not going over. It it goes away because you would, it'd be very difficult to add as much processed foods, oxidized fats, um, processed salt and processed sugar into food that you make from scratch. Cause just measuring out, you'd be like, this isn't, this is not right. So if you can do most of that in your kitchen, you're kind of set. And that's why I don't ever advocate for one type of eating or one dietary philosophy. It's that if you can do the work in your kitchen, a lot of, a lot of the challenges we're seeing in dietary patterns and eating habits and health challenges resolve themselves with minimal effort. And so I would never say like, stop eating fast food, stop eating processed food, but let's instead look on the, 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 the silver lining side, the abundance side and say, let's eat more of this. Let's have more of this available in our house and the rest falls away. And it's been really interesting because my son, who's almost four, um, we actually, we, we, there's this one snack we'll sometimes buy at the health food store. And then we've just saved the packages and make them from scratch and put them in this package for him. So he he thinks he's getting like a store-bought snack, but he's come to learn that we don't stock snacks in our house. We stock ingredients 
to make the snacks. And we always have yummy things around like muffins or little energy balls or sometimes these homemade chocolate treats. But he knows that it's something that we make. And because we've made it, when he wants one, I don't have to necessarily limit it in the same way or be as mindful about it or, you know, it's never treated as a reward. And, and that, that, those rules, like we're programming him, I don't, it's sort of a bad word for it, but, you know, we are, we're teaching him this way pretty early on. And I think this needs to apply to, to, to all of us, especially under times of stress. So um, that's sort of the approach. And if, if you think about it another way, when a food is harvested off the land and goes to a factory before it comes to you, they're removing all of the living and vital components that are most likely to go rancid or rot. And it's those living vital components that make us living and vital. So if those are being stripped away in the factory and then being replaced by synthetic shelf-stable versions, we are getting a subpar product. Like we are consuming something that is nutrient deficient straight out of the box which then leads to our own neutral, nutritional deficiencies and imbalances, even when we think we're buying all the right things and eating all the right things because the package says so. That's tricky. I think teaching kids at that fundamental level is so critical and also the reprogramming our assumptions about what we're, we're grabbing off the shelf. Um, my husband is the child of baby boomer parents and baby boomer parents were taught that formula was better and that all of these easy to grab you know from a can to to something frozen it's not not all frozen food is bad certainly but you know in comes the tv dinner right yeah. and certainly it certainly trying to um once my husband got older and into college and understood all these health consequences of how his parents were feeding him. And they were Italian. It was like, eat, eat. The more you eat, it's fine. It doesn't matter what you're eating, just eat. And so eventually it started to add up. It started to add up for him in terms of, of his dental health. It had it turned, it showed up, it shows up in cardiovascular health um, as an adult. And so I think we have to uh, deprogram ourselves. We are being taught so much messaging um, around what we're eating. And so I'm thinking about how this messaging gets translated um, and through, through the Academy of Culinary Nutrition, how are you teaching culinary nutritionists and your students to sort of help educate their clients and their students once they're graduated, like what's the language that you're using in terms of this? You mentioned a gentle and non-judgmental approach to telling people, hey, you're, you're kind of eating the wrong thing. We need to sort of rethink this. Well, people. we would never say that, even if we're thinking it. Right. <laughs> so we always right. try and, yeah. we always, like I teach from a place of, you know, look at this head of broccoli. Like what a miracle this head of broccoli is that came from this little tiny seed. And what is the potential in this broccoli? So if broccoli is high in chlorophyll, that's really good for our blood. And it also has something called indole-3-carbonyl, which is a cancer preventative phytonutrient. Like everything we're afraid of out there, we can be protected from with the food that we eat or partially, or at least preventatively. And so we always try and focus on what we're getting with the choices we make, as opposed to what we might be missing out on or losing by the choices we're making. And if you can approach it from that way, you know, it was interesting. I was speaking with someone 
the other day, well, maybe a couple months ago, and it was about a job with the company. And she was concerned. She's like, my family's worried that I'm going to start making them, you know, change their eating habits or eat healthier. And I was like, imagine that. Imagine if your exposure to this information inspires people to stop eating or doing the things that increase their risk of degenerative disease. Like, is that something to fear? Is that terrible? And I mean, we're seeing it right now, like with the pandemic and the cracks that have formed and it, you know, it's not just about the virus, it's showing the breakdown in resilience Mm -hmm. and how our habits have increased the risk of, of, of complications from something that for most people won't be affected by, but the most vulnerable, um, you know, it's a, it's a real risk and a real fear. And so it just goes to show, you know, what can happen if we each individually take on the responsibility of our health and do what we can, you know, from what, wherever we're at, it can only be part of a greater solution. And so if we use language like that, suddenly it makes like, well, you're not letting me have a fast food burger anymore. Like I never said that, but is that really the direction you want to go? And like, if you share with people the how to do better, the why it's worth considering, and you leave it to them to make that decision, you're no longer forcing someone's, someone's life into a direction they're not ready for. It's they're making those decisions. And if they can make those decisions, understanding the reasons why that goes so much further than me being a nutritionist saying, no, that's bad. And this is good. And eat more of this. And that's toxic. And that's poison. Like that's going to create the most resistance of all. And that's not helpful for anyone. It reminds me of one of my favorite quotes, which is um, animals don't need nutritionists, Yeah, you know? And it's like, if we're really, um, if we are thinking and living like animals, it's like, you know, I was watching my cat the other day out in the backyard and She's like, you know, frolicking, running around, you know, but like nibbling on grass and like catching flies, but eating the fly, you know, like, like they know, like, like they know what to do. Right. And it's like, if really in theory, I'm like, if we just think about ourselves as animals and mother nature, as we have been put on this earth as it's like, we don't need all these other things, you know, and, um, and I think it's really, you know, it's really fascinating. Um, you know, I have this experience right now, my um, father-in-law has been, um, going through cancer treatment, but he's also been letting me, um, do functional medicine and work on his nutrition. And, you know, he's 78 and like, he's come around to this reality of like, wow, when I'm eating better and I'm drinking more water and I'm thinking through, um, these things, like I feel so much better. And you know, he's starting to see this breakdown and he's starting to understand. And I go, you know, and I, I just said to him, I was like, you know, but I was like, this is how our family eats for the rest yeah. of our lives. And I was yeah. like, you know, and the reality of like, he's starting to see that like your health is well, you know? Yeah. Pro- I went through a similar with my father when he was 60, he was diagnosed with cancer and he'd been very resistant to, I'd already been in nutrition school for a few years or I'd already been in the nutrition field, I should say. And there was one time when I was, I'd made like a quinoa salad at the cottage or at the family cottage. And he said to me, I feel like you're feeding me this quinoa with contempt. And I'm like, you're right. I made this for you because I hate you. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, we laugh about it now, but it's this idea that, you know, 
I don't do this work to make anyone feel bad about anything. I'm not chasing someone down the street being like, what are you eating? It's like, if you seek my guidance, I will help inspire you to make the right decisions for who you are, for what's right for you. I have no idea. I don't know what you should be eating. I don't know you. I don't know your life, but it's the laws of mother nature. And, and we know that the, the more connected you get with the planet, because we are not just like plunked on here as observers of the ecosystem. We're of the ecosystem. We're not the sole living beings on the planet that are poisoned by sunshine where everything else thrives on it. So it becomes that understanding of the relationship we have with our environment, with our surroundings. And the more in sync you can become with that relationship, the more vitality you'll begin to experience. And of course, that's no guarantee. Like, you know, I walk barefoot in the forest, so I'm never getting sick in my life. That You can't say that, but you could say that, well, you know what? I might have a better outcome because of it. Or if something does happen, I might have a quicker recovery or, you know, it's an insurance policy. The best kind you can ever invest in is, is your health today and what that can build for you long-term. Yeah, I think about so many clients, and I'm sure you, you've experienced this in your practice, Megan, is that, you know, they're so afraid to change or they, they have to make all these concerted efforts to make all these separate meals for all their family members because God forbid they, they expose or they, they challenge somebody else's view of the world. And what you're saying, all, all, all that you've said so far is such a reassurance, I believe, and I, I wonder if you, I'm sure you agree with this, but just to reiterate, the idea that, you know, um, change has to come from within, right? It has to be, it ha you're right, it has to be somebody else's idea for that to stick. Um, but a lot of times change around that person, it, it becomes threatening. Um, Absolutely. And I think that, um, and I see it with my students all the time as they go through the program. And, you know, this September will be our 10th run of it. And so I kind of, I know the ebbs and flows. Now I can anticipate what will happen. And there's always a few students who experience a resistance from those around them being that, you know, it's all good when we're all on the same plane, but suddenly someone is, is moving. And I don't say like higher or better, but to a different place that that person may not be ready to, to venture into. And the only way, the only way you can ever inspire change is with your own actions and consistency. Yeah. So if you start living well and feeling well, and then it, you know, radiates out your eyes and your skin and your language starts to change and your energy and how you move in the world, people notice that that's a, you know, frequency without getting too woo woo. It's a frequency we operate on that changes and whether someone can, can, you know, consciously acknowledge that or not, they can feel, and they'll start to say, you know, what are you doing differently? Like you seem different, you look different. Um, and, and that, you know, whatever I tell my students is don't worry about everybody else. You have to be consistent and lead by example and also only wake, make one meal. If people don't eat it, don't, they don't have to eat it. But even in, you know, in our house, you know, way back in 2019, when we used to have people over for meals that didn't necessarily always align with us, I didn't go out and buy them diet soda because I knew that's what they liked. Like I would only serve people food that I felt good about serving people. And, and that was sort of my, that, that's my boundary. I'm also in this field and <laughs> like, I don't have to defend it at this point, having been doing this for so long, but that's just the expectation. When I go to other people's homes, I don't expect them to cater to my needs. I'll ask what they're preparing and I'll say, that sounds delicious. I'm going to bring something else 
or I'm going to bring something to contribute. Or if it's not something that my son can have, I'll be like, I'm going to bring something for him. But, you know, being consistent and not ever doing something or consuming something that is harmful to yourself that you know isn't right for you to make someone else feel better is never going to be an appropriate solution. It's true. I, I was thinking a lot about, uh, as you were talking about the idea of, of judgment, um, your father's sense of, of contempt, um, you know, the sense that we, you know, with this new information, with, with making these changes, um, we can come across as judgmental. Some of that fear there that comes up is judgment. Um, and so it's, it's powerful. It's change is scary. Yeah. Um, and we never want to be judgmental. Um, how do you address, how, how have you addressed over the years as you had to you know, shift your diet and create this whole new world that you lived in, um, not come across or preachy? Yeah, I'm sure I sound preachy to a lot of people, but that's okay. <laughs> I think, you know, what's interesting is that my diet has, I don't even like calling it diet. It's my lifestyle has continuously um, evolved over the 15 years that I've been aware of, you know, that my actions affect the outcome. Um, and what's interesting is that I'm continuously judged or people make assumptions about me. And often they make assumptions about the way I eat based on what their ideal is. And so I just let that go. I'm like, if they think that's how I eat and that's what they're striving for, and they think that's what they need to do and that's going to work for them. That's okay. I've also experienced a lot of the you'll see especially since um, becoming pregnant and then having a child being like, oh, well, you, you know, you want to do that, but you'll see, you'll see when your child starts going to birthday parties, you'll see when this happens, you'll see. And I'm like, I'm still waiting. And I haven't seen because, you know, our set point is such that I don't waver it. And like, I'm not so, so foolish to think that I can control what my child's going to eat for the rest of his life. But at four years old, I absolutely can. And I can educate him. And, you know, he knows, he knows what we do and why we do it. And he asks where things come from. And I mean, he's not even quite four yet. So, you know, I'm still waiting. And like, so I said to my husband, Josh, I'm like, when do we get to start saying, see, like, <laughs> see, you'll see, like, you'll see what we can do with this. Like, you'll see how we can get him, you know, excited about certain foods and wanting to make muffins full of zucchini and, you know, being excited and like what he considers a special treat being dried mango. Like I'm going to try and get away with that as long as I can. And I'm sure there'll be no doubt that he'll be like, you know, what you used to do when I was little. I'm like, yep. <laughs> and you had no clue. And so it's fine. Just, you know, you're healthy now, be happy. Um, and, and so you know, I continuously deal with that. And when you make a choice to live healthfully, again, by one's own definition, by default, you're going against the paradigms of what we're, um, of, of convenience mm -hmm. of life. Like you can't just stop on the highway and grab food anywhere on a road trip. You don't just fly somewhere and eat whatever they're serving on the plane or whatever's in the airport. You don't stay in a hotel and just, you know, eat whatever's on the menu that's a conscious choice and a conscious way of living that can feel exhausting and overwhelming. But you also, you know, you recognize where your limits are, what your set point is, what is worth it, what's not worth it. And you find your balance within it. And I don't think anyone should ever have to justify that to anybody. I agree. And I think also like with the judgment thing, it's like, you know, I was telling somebody the other day, I was like, you know, I was like, when you realize 
the change when you change your food, you've got on a healing journey, like whatever it is, because we all have our own stories, right? And the importance of that story, I was like, you don't want to sit on your hands and be like, I did nothing. No, you want to like scream from the mountaintops, like, yo, this is amazing and it works, right? Yeah. Or this yeah. is like, I've, you know, it's like you have, you can, and you know, I know when I started my healing journey, it was like, I had had this, like, I don't know, it was like the clouds had parted, like Jesus, Moses, the sea guy parted, you know, like this moment of like, oh my gosh. And the day, like the brain fog lifted and it was like, somebody took socks out of my head. And I was like, this, what life is like for everybody else. Right. And it's like, you don't, you don't want to sit on your hands. You don't want to. I mean, that's how I ended up doing what I'm doing. Cause I'm like, how does, like, how come no one else knows this? Like, why didn't anyone tell me this? Like, like everyone needs to know this, but, and it still frustrates me to no end that, you know, I get like the la, 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 like covering the ears and singing and they just don't want it. But it's, it's, you know, the change is hard. Change can be scary. And, you know, I remind my students both in my culinary nutrition expert program and in the business coaching, I do that the only thing to fear is the ever repeating known, which is removing the realm of possibility. Like if you're constantly doing the same things that are having the same results and you're experiencing the same symptoms or the same challenges or the same frustrations, that's when you got to do something differently. When it comes to our diet or our health, it's not going to be doing something differently for two weeks and then expecting that to last the rest of our lives. And we go back to what we were doing before. It's a, it's a change. And what's incredible and what you kind of just have to take a leap of faith and trust is that mo- you never want to go back. Like once you had you know, the socks and the, the cotton out of your head and you can think clearly again, like you would never want to go back. You don't want to go back to sleep once you've woken up. I was like, oh, you know what? I don't want to know that. Like, forget it. I don't want to know how to feel, wake up in the morning feeling amazing and excited about what's happening that day. Like, I want to wake up after having the TV on all night with a migraine and body pain and having a coffee and a muffin and then being constipated. And like, you know, like no one wants to go back to that. Um, And so part of it's just trusting that there is a, a sticky transition to the whole process, but that you don't just come out on the, on the, on the bright side. Like it just gets brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. Like there's no limit to the potential. Mm-hmm. It so, also becomes like a nice groove. I mean, I love that. I love that sticky transition. It, it, you are so right. It is uh, when I made this leap in 27 in, sorry, in 2007 to go gluten-free and cause I was falling asleep at at my desk, I was on, you know, I was actually still smoking cigarettes, believe it or not. I was you know, on so much caffeine. I was just, there was so much going on. I was surviving in New York City on bagels and pizza and and uh, going to graduate school. It was a little too much and, and my body was stressed. And, um, and it, but I feel you that um, that sticky transition, I feel like they're just like everything. And the way I've described this and is like a spiral like we, we're all if you can imagine it like a cone and taking and traveling up that cone in a spiral fashion that we're going to keep going in circles and circles um, and we might have to come back to the same place we were before but we're armed with new material and new and new information um, and there might be some more sticky situations that pop up and we're going to have to navigate through those um, I'm curious and I this is something that we wanted to 
um, pick your brain on as we, you know, transition out of a, a deep, and I, I know, I'm sorry, it's not happening in Toronto. Well, am uh, I? <laughs> but, right, the fact that we are starting to come out of um, this quarantine phase um, is that how we talked a lot about, you know, how we eat um, or what we've talked about what we eat, but sorry, thinking about how we eat and who we eat with. Um, we'd love to kind of pick your brain about that. Why does it matter how we eat? What does that have to do? Like meaning, and I mean how, I don't mean like, you know, with our hands or with a fork or like um, just putting our face into a bowl. Uh, what, I'm, what, what I'm asking is like how, meaning where, when, um, and with whom we consume a meal. Yeah, and um, I think that, that I think we all know how fundamental community is and connection is and real life connection that, you know, I'm enjoying speaking with both of you through the screen, but it'd be way better if we were around a table together sure. with food, hopefully. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I think that what we're seeing is that, and hopefully what people um, stay connected with, and for those of us in, in Ontario, don't forget how powerful and how essential the breaking of bread is with loved ones and gluten-free or not, you know, like, like the, the, the connection that happens through sitting down and sharing a meal together um, is one of the most powerful ways to connect. And it's vital for our, not just our mental health, but our physical health for the hormones that get released for the neurotransmitters for the you know, the, just the simple joy of laughter and learning something new from somebody or, you know, I, I join, I belong to this group that obviously has a meeting the same way. And it, you know, as an introvert, this is my greatest fear, but showing up to dinners once a month with people I'd never met being, you know, with assigned seating, sitting down to people I had never, like no clue anything about them. Oh, and, <laughs> and it was, and has been, I mean, now we meet online and it's a different situation, but um, profoundly, uh, like one of the most profoundly changing experiences of my life. And then I realized, wait a second, I actually used to do this to people too in my kitchen. I knew everyone coming, but they didn't know each other. And I, you know, people meet who um, ended up being roommates and I always wanted a love connection to form, but it, it didn't happen. That was my goal. Like I wanted people to meet and fall in love and get married here. But I did have one student move here for a, for a course when, we, when I was running my full course who connected with an old friend while she was here and they got married and they have three kids. So I feel like that was the closest. But all that to say, um, slowing down, taking time to smell your food, the cephalic phase of digestion that gets your body ready to eat, as opposed to, you know, scarfing it down in front of the computer or watching the evening news, which should be like, you know, that's like a digestive nightmare. Um, like it, it changes the taste of the food. It changes the appreciation of what you're consuming. It changes your awareness of it. It changes how things taste. Um, you know, I think of, of, you know, my mom always made roast chicken dinners. Like that's like her signature meal. And Yes, she would make them like she'd make them. She'll bring them. Can I bring you a roast chicken dinner? Like if we're having a rough week and like, that's one of the things she does, but when we can sit down and eat it as a family, all of us, 
with the kids running wild, like it's a different experience of that meal. And that is um, intangible, invaluable, can't be replicated. There's nothing that, that replaces that. One of, the, one of the big things I've been um, telling my students during this time and something that, you know, I myself had been practicing is I was like, you know, I was like, just taking the time to even have gratitude for the food yeah. that you're getting ready to take. You know, yeah. taking a moment to honor the farmers who grew it, the drivers, the people who work at the, you know, whether it's a grocery store or the farmer's market, right? And I was like, and even in its own way, as like, it feels like you're embracing community. Yeah. By just taking a moment to pause, take a deep breath, recognize, and then like dig in and enjoy, you know, something amazing, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's definitely something I've been teaching in my gut health class and, um, to my own clients. And it's just, you know, something that we've really embraced in the last year um, much more deeply, right? It's like, yeah. and it's never too soon to start with my son. We have, I know we're, we're wrapping up, um, but you know, we, we don't, he doesn't watch much videos or TV. And when he does, it's very specific. And we were making, I was making with him little homemade gluten-free donuts and we put nutmeg in them. And I was like, do you know what this is? Like I had a whole little nutmeg He's like, no, it's like, you know, it grows on a tree inside of fruit. And he's like, really? And so we watch this whole video on how they harvest nutmeg and where it comes from. And so even at that age, they can start to have that gratitude and the appreciation of, you know, if you look at your meal, all the different people. And, you know, like you said, Cheryl, where everything comes from, um, that's, that's, that's the why, like that helps you understand the value and what you're, what you're doing and why it's worth the effort. Every bit of effort is worth it. Absolutely. Yes. We so appreciate you being on. We know you have to pop on to another call and um, so forth, but um, thank you so much for making the time to join us, Megan. Um, you know, we'll put it in um, the footnotes and everything, um, the show notes about, you know, how people can reach you, but at megantelpner.com um, and um Go check them out. We cannot highly recommend. Um, I took your um, everyday herbal class, um, which was fantastic. So if you're looking for basic ways even to get into herbal medicine, you have like a toxic, toxic-free living. Healthy home. We have a healthy, healthy at home, home course. Yes. And then our, our full certification program starts in September and that's at culinarynutrition.com. All right. So you guys can go sign up there and we appreciate you being here and um Hopefully you get to enjoy a great restaurant also soon. <laughs> I hope so. Thank you both so much. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. You have just finished another episode of Peeling the Onion podcast. Music is by Greg Dijazu. You can also stay in touch with us over Instagram at Peeling the Onion Podcast and on our website at PeelingTheOnionPodcast.com. We would love to receive your feedback on Apple Podcasts and YouTube. Peeling back the onion.